0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all compassion, the God of all comfort, uh, the God who is so good and so wise and so loving, uh, that in your great power you are wonderfully good to us uh, in all circumstances, even through terrible circumstances. Uh, thank you, Father, that you use your mighty power in goodness and love and service. And Father, we ask this morning, please be very gracious to us. Please speak to us now through your word as we reflect on it. Uh, Please, Lord, transform the way we think and live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When I was a teenager, I wasn't a Christian. And so my basic stance towards the world was one of anti-authority. I wasn't a particularly terrible teen. um, But the whole way I saw my life was, you're not going to be the boss of me you're not going to tell me what to do, no one's going to rule over me. And so the music I listened to, the way me and my friends spoke, the way that I thought was anti-authority, anti-government, anti-police, and particularly anti-teachers. A key piece of my life was sticking it to the man. And so at school, uh, me and my friends uh, used to steal things. Uh, One time we broke into a a locker cabinet, cupboard and stole a whole bunch of computer paper, you know, dot matrix printer paper with the holes on the sides. And, and we stole it, not because um, we needed it, not because it was fun stealing, although not only because it was fun stealing, but because we wanted to print out our assignments on it and hand it back to the teachers because it was just like sticking your big middle finger up to the teachers and saying, there, take that. It was an expression of anti-authority. Uh, The school had a pretty strict uh, uniform code, and particularly uh, no sneakers, only black leather shoes were allowed. And so almost every day of my schooling from year eight to the end of school, I wore sneakers. But not just sneakers, big, puffy, high-top, converse basketball boots which would stand out right across the playground uh, uh, amongst everyone else's black shoes. Now, the principal quickly picked up on this and he made it his mission to track me down. And so I made it my mission to evade him, which was just the sort of spice that you needed to make school life worthwhile. (laughs) Every corner you walked around, you'd be like, is Mr Moody lying in wait? No, it's clear to go. Um, People knew of the feud between us, and so people would say, Moody's coming. So I'd jump over a fence, out a window, hide in a bush. Once he found me hanging under some bubblers, trying to avoid him as he walked (laughs) past. we, we broke into school computers and reprogrammed a quiz that all the students did in the school uh, so that all the quiz questions were now rude questions about people we didn't like and particularly teachers we didn't like and saved it on the main server so that everyone had access to it. Now, these are trivial acts of rebellion. No. But... The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's what they were, acts of rebellion. I'm in charge of my life don't tell me what to do, don't rule over me. And doesn't that live in each and every one of us? I I know it does, because that's how we treat the one who has ultimate authority over us, that's how we treat our Lord God, our good God. I'm in charge of my life, God, don't you tell me what to do, don't you rule over me. And so we carry that attitude towards God into all sorts of human relationships, particularly any relationship where there's some sort of authority over us. Some of us more, some of us less and be a bit self-reflective this morning. Some of us are more on the anti-authority side of things. Some of us are more on the compliance with authority side of things. Some of us are more hot-headed and bristle under authority. Some of us are more willing to keep in step. You know, When they said, wear a mask, how did you respond? How did you feel? Some react more, some react less. But it's a natural problem for all of us. And so when you read verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, which is super clear, super unambiguous. A little or a big part of us says, no. I don't want to submit to the governing authorities. I don't want to obey them. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have other people tell me what to do and how to live. Add to this the current feeling that's around in certain spheres of our culture. And that is the narrative that authority is bad power is bad, hierarchy is bad. Now this has arisen and is arising out of a series of cultural shifts in thought, complex shifts, including the rise of critical race theory, the rise of neo-Marxism. The growing narrative is that whenever someone has power, they use that power to oppress and oppress minorities, religious minorities, racial minorities, sexual minorities, gender minorities, socioeconomic minorities. This way of seeing the world sees the world through the lens of oppressor and oppressed, powerful and subjugated. And so the solution is to throw off power, remove hierarchy, flatten so that everyone's equal and no one has power over anyone else. Uh, One of my daughters goes to Macquarie University and in the bathrooms uh, was this poster. She took a photo for me because she knew I could use it uh, somewhere. <laughs> now, it, it could be that they're just using this as clickbait, sensationalism to get people along to their event. But to put a sign up like that, it must indicate that it's tapping into some sort of sentiment in our society that's out there. Get rid of oppressive powers. The police, authority, hierarchy, power, they're bad. So you put these two things together. I don't want anyone to rule over me with, and I'm not even sure that anyone should rule over anyone. Perhaps power, authority and hierarchy are actually bad things. And then you read verse 1, it's a clash of worlds, a clash of thinking. But as we heard a couple of weeks ago, the Lord is in the business of transforming our thinking, of renewing our minds so that we can think rightly about Him and rightly about the world and rightly about how we live in it and rightly about authority and how we should relate to authority. The Lord gives us commands, verse 1, as an example, but not merely commands. He reshapes the whole way we see and think about the world. So with regard to these issues, authority, hierarchy, power, submission, let's put four key pieces of thought in place, four puzzle pieces, if you like, which, which each locks together to give us a complete picture, not a totally comprehensive picture, there's much more that could be said after this morning, but a, but a fairly full picture Of what it means to uh, be under those in authority. Puzzle piece one, hierarchy, power and authority are good things. Have a look with me, verse four, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. God has established people to be in authority for the good of society. Now in what way? Continue on in verse four. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. One of the key reasons that God has established authorities over society is they bring justice. They bring punishment for wrongdoing, wrath on the wrongdoer, which brings order. Order is one of the most fundamental things society needs And it's brought about by having leadership, rule, to establish right and wrong, law and order, justice and punishment. Now imagine for a moment a society with no authority, no one in power. At first you go, oh, it sounds great, doesn't it? It Sounds idyllic. But you think about it two seconds longer and you realise that sort of existence is terrifying. That's dog-eat-dog, that's, dog. that's warlord against warlord. And we don't need to imagine it. Throughout history, in fact, in our world today, we see situations where leadership has failed, where a coup has taken place or collapsed, and so a vacuum, a power vacuum, has been left. And in that context, society descends into chaos, violence, evil. Even in societies like ours, where there is a great deal of wonderful authority, law and order, We're often only a few steps away, a few hungry meals away from riots, violence and bloodshed. Imagine a society without any authority, without any rule over it. One of the most fundamental things that rule brings to a society is good order established by God for the good of society. Even in the most oppressive societies that are particularly corrupt it is the case that having rule over those societies still brings the fundamental good of some sort of order. It's better than having no rule at all. When there is no social rule, order disintegrates and anarchy ensues. Societies only function where there are authorities and people willing to submit to those authorities. So you imagine a footy game or some sort of sport game for a moment. The game only really works if there's a ref, well, there's an umpire, some sort of authority over the game who's calling right and wrong, who's adjudicating decisions, who's dispensing justice. And it only works if the players on the field are willing to submit to the authority of the ref and accept their judgments. Otherwise, the whole game breaks down and it goes bad. Same with societies where you have no rule or people willing to sit under that rule in submission, what you get is a breakdown of order and it goes bad. But the good that rulers can do once order has been established as the fundamental piece is bigger and broader. You think about the things that a good ruling body can bring to a society. Safety, hospitals, protection for the vulnerable, an economy that brings security and opportunity and raises the standard of living and the ability for families and communities to flourish. And they can bring education and... We can have an idealistic notion of how great it would be to have no government and no authorities telling us what to do, but you do the mental exercise for a very short amount of time and you realise there are all sorts of aspects that we wonderfully enjoy in our society for the very reason that there is an authority ruling over us. Health, um, welfare, law and order, Uh, the taxes they collect can be directed towards uh, projects, education, services, um, different different things that uh, raise the standard of living and bring um, health and prosperity to life. Power, authority and hierarchy are good things, inherently good things. It's how that power and position authority is exercised is where humans go wrong. Power and position in themselves are not bad, they're very good. It's just that human beings in their sinfulness take those things and use them in corrupt ways. So a word to you, if you hold a position of authority... Because there are many here amongst us who hold positions of authority in different spheres of life. Sometimes we're the submitters, sometimes we're the ones in authority in different relationships, in different spheres. So you may be an authority in government or in your home or in your workplace or in your sporting club or your community organisations, at church in some place, as a teacher, if you hold a position of authority, God has placed you there. He has given you that position of authority and it is to be exercised for good, for the good of those you are leading, in love, in care, in service. Do you remember that Jesus says to his disciples, the rulers of the nations use their authority for themselves. They lord it over the people for their power, for their prestige. They think the people exist for them. Not so with you, says Jesus. Whoever wants to be great must become the servant of all. True greatness is doing good and love and care and service to others. And all Christians should be doing this all the time and everywhere. But particularly if you hold a position of authority, you've been placed there by God for the good of others. Now, in our country, in Australia, our system of government that has arisen out of a Christian past, particularly England's Christian past, our system of government recognizes in the very titles it uses that those in authority are to be there for good and service. And so we call the top dog, the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, which means the First Servant the one who serves the whole nation, who pours out his life for the nation. And if you've watched him over the years, you can see the life just being sucked out of him <laughs> as he gets older and older. And all people in public, service, it's a heavy load if they do it well. We have ministers of parliament, a governing group who are ministering, serving the people. We have government employees who are called public Servants. That God is to serve the public for their good. Our government recognises this, at least in the titles. All people in any position of authority have been placed there by God for the good of others and we should be praying for those in authority. Authority is good. But do you know how we ultimately know that power and authority are inherently good things? We look at God. (laughs) The one with absolute power, with utter authority, with total rule. And how does he exercise his authority? in beautiful, wonderful goodness and love, profound goodness, heartbreaking goodness. It's so beautiful. That the one who is in utter power and control over all things becomes a creature. One of us suffers, dies, humiliating, shameful death, has the wrath that we deserve, the vengeance that should be reserved for us, for our rebellion against him, poured upon him in our place to save us. Such goodness is is almost unimaginable. But that's what power is for. Goodness, service, love, sacrifice, it's shaped by our God. So don't buy the lie that authority and power and hierarchy are evil things. All authority has been established by God for the good of others. They're gifts of the good God to us for the service of all those under their authority. Piece two of the puzzle. But... We live in a dark world for now. Everything's not as it should be, which we've already heard today. The nature of our rebellion against God was actually a power move. I will not let God have rule and power and authority over me. I will rule myself and I will rule over others. It's the very shape and nature of sin. And so it corrupts the whole exercise of power in every sphere, and every relationship of life. The way it's meant to be is God rules over us in great good and love and we under God rule over the rest of creation in great goodness and love the way God has led us but instead in our rebellion I will not let you rule me God instead I will seek to rule over you and rule over everyone else and rule over everyone under me not for their good but for my own sinful ends and so we corrupt power. And so every person to a greater or lesser extent, we use the power we possess, whether that be great or small, for our own selfish gains. And if people have great power, then they can use that power potentially to abuse it. doesn't mean they always will, but it means they often will, because that's the nature of fallen humanity. This is why democracy has served us so well. It limits the power that any one person or any small group of people can hold, sets up a whole system of checks and balances, of elections and voting, of opposition parties and the limit, that power that one person can have and how long they can hold it for before they're out of office and there's more voting in there. And it's a system which is relatively ineffective and slow and bureaucratic and filled with infighting and with blocking good things that could be done or delaying them or, and it's subject to cultural shifts, and, but it's wonderfully safe. And it's served us well because it's built with an understanding that we need to protect our society from us, from sinful human beings. And so, in this life, we live in a mixed age. The authorities over us are so often a mix of good and bad, Some things more good, some things more bad. In some places, pretty good. In some places, fairly bad. In some places, terrible. But no authority is as it should be. All things in this world are corrupted by sin and won't be fixed in this world. We need another world. We need a whole new creation, which is what's coming. Have a look at verse 11. And do all this understanding the present time The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime and not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh." We now, in this present age, live in the night, live in the darkness, the darkness of this sinful world. But as Christians, we belong to the day that's coming, to another world that's coming, a whole new creation that's coming, where the darkness will be swept away as the light dawns. The night of sin and brokenness and the abuse of power is almost over. The dawning of the new day of the new creation is almost here. Jesus is coming our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed and so now we live in a world that's broken and authorities will never be as they should be should the good they should do they don't always do and in some circumstances they do terrible things and we should be concerned as citizens about that and be engaged be involved in political process care about where our authorities are taking us pursue legal uh, activities for change but Ultimately, not too concerned. This age is almost over. The night is passing. The day is almost here. So rather live as people of that day. Focus on that. Live as people of the light. People are putting aside the deeds of darkness and living for the day to come. A day when it dawns, there will be no more evil done by the powerful. Puzzle piece three God will eventually judge every person in authority. Even though God has established every authority and we are to submit, it doesn't mean that God approves of the wicked and evil thing that those authorities do. And it doesn't mean that the ruler could say, God has appointed me here, I have the divine right of rule, the right of kings, I am God's servant so I can do whatever I want. No. Nor does it mean that rulers are not responsible for their actions. They They are fundamentally responsible and will be judged for their actions. When Jesus arrives bringing the new dawn, perfect justice will be done. He will avenge. He will repay. We see it in the context. Flip back with me to chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. There'll be things that governments, kings and rulers do that are evil. There'll be times when they pass laws thinking they're good, but they bring harm to the innocent. There'll be times when they do stupid and terrible, make stupid and terrible decisions that just beg a belief. And we can feel like doing, I need to take this into my hands. I need to get revenge for the wrong that's done to me. I need to stand up and rebel against what's going on. But we're reminded right here, the Lord sees it all. No one's getting away with anything. And he is the avenger. I can't be the avenger, you can't be the avenger, because we are not him. We are not the God who sits over all things, who is perfectly pure and holy and just and righteous. The one with all wisdom and all knowledge who can judge perfectly, justly and rightly. We're in the mess. We're part of the mess. Only God sits above it and can judge all of it. And he does and he will he will avenge he will repay no one will escape the punishment they deserve for the things that they have done wrong no matter how small they might seem or how big they are every single one will be brought to account every single person punished unless they have put their trust in jesus and their punishment has fallen upon him in their place now this includes rulers politicians and governments everyone gets justice in the end no one is above the law either God's wrath falls on them and justice is done. Or they have turned to Jesus and God's wrath has fallen on him and they're saved and justice is done. Now I find that this helps us to submit in difficult circumstances. This helps us in situations where we have been mistreated, where people have abused their power over us. Jesus is coming. The abuses of power in this world will not get away. No, no, when he comes... There will be vengeance. God will bring about justice. Fourth puzzle piece. But still God has established every ruling authority and we're to submit. See, it might be tempting to think that because we live in a broken world and authorities are corrupted by sin, we no longer need to, commit, uh, to submit. no. The Apostle Paul, speaking to these Roman Christians, Christians who live in the very heart of the Roman Empire, says these words. This is an empire that was far from sympathetic to Christianity, far from aligned to Christian thinking and morality. And yet Paul writes that the Roman Empire has been established by God and that Christians are to submit. Christians, even though they belong to the new day, the new creation, the world to come, are not outsider over the law because of that. For the Roman Christians here to be called to submit, it was super costly, far more costly than for us to submit to our government. And yet here they're called to be subject to, to submit to the governing authorities. That's worth just noticing again, underlining, God has established every ruling authority. Verse 1 makes it emphatic by saying the negative and the positive. There is no authority except that which God has established, negative. The authorities that exist have been established by God, positive. And those who rule are God's servants, verse 4, verse 6. God has established all systems of rule of all people across the globe in every era of history, established for the common good, for the serving of the people. They might not know they're God's servants, they might not even believe in God or believe in another God, but still remains the Lord has established every authority for the good ordering of society. And this authority and submission thing, It's not about superiority and inferiority. People in authority in any situation are not more important people over less important people, or even more competent people over less competent people. No, they're the people that God has placed in authority to lead for the good of others, to serve. And so we are to be, verse 1, subject to them, submit to them which in most circumstances means to obey them, to keep the rules established by them, to pay taxes that we're obligated to pay. And then there's a couple of reasons given why we should do this. Why should I submit? Why should I obey? Verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Two reasons. Reason one, possible punishment. Reason two, conscience. Reason one, possible punishment. Verse three. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Obey the governing authorities, because if you do, you'll be commended. But if you don't, be afraid, because you might get caught. and it's the job of the ruler to punish you for the wrong things you've done. They do not wield the sword of nothing, for nothing. It's the job of authorities to punish. So don't so submit out of fear of punishment. Now we experience this, don't we? You're driving along. You're in a 40 zone, you don't realise it's a 40 zone, but it is, at that time of day, a 40 zone. You wonder why everyone else around you is driving so slowly. You're driving at 60, they're driving so slow, and then it twigs on you. It's a 40 zone at this time. And you have the little adrenaline rush. You might not, you, you might not care, but I have the little adrenaline rush. Is the camera, yeah, is there a speed camera here? Is the police watching? Am I going to get caught? Am I going to get fined for this? Or am I going to lose points in my licence? F- fear. It actually works to restrain you and to move you to do the right thing and to submit to authorities. You imagine if you're breaking the law in a big way, the sort of underlying fear that a healthy person would carry with them because if what you've done gets exposed, what are the consequences for that? And it's right to have that fear. It's good to have authorities that have established laws and who prosecute people for breaking those laws, who punish them. This brings good order to society, fear of punishment, restrains the evil that we could do to each other. It it draws us to submit to governing authorities. But there's a bigger reason for our submission to authorities. Reason two, your conscience. God has established every authority as his servants for the good of society. So verse two, Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I think there it's likely God's judgment. If you disobey what God has put in place, you are actually disobeying God. Reason two, obey authorities, the laws, the police, because in doing so you're obeying God. Do it because of conscience. Do it because it's right. Do it because you are sensitive to doing what God wants you to do. This is the bigger reason to obey authorities. You can see even in verse 5, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. See, the speeding example. You might speed a little bit, and from the perspective of punishment, you think, I think I'll keep doing that. You you think, I'm not speeding heaps. I don't think I'm going to hurt anyone. I'm a really good driver. I'm not going to get out of control. And I don't think I'm probably going to get caught. But if I do get caught, the fine is fairly small and I'm willing to pay that fine and so fear of punishment actually doesn't stop me speeding at all. But if in your conscience you cannot bear to disobey your Heavenly Father, you won't speed even a little bit because your conscience won't let you. You'll obey the law because in obeying the law, you're actually obeying God, even if you think those laws are stupid This road used to be a 60 zone and then one day arbitrarily they changed it to a 50 zone and I drive along it every day. There is no reason, there's been no accidents here. It's slow, it's stupid. Obey the law because you're obeying your heavenly Father. No matter how stupid you think the law is, no matter how stupid you think the government is, obey the laws because of conscience. And some of us are going to have strong opinions about big government and the nanny state and how overregulated we are in so many spheres of life, can I say I feel it? But it helps us to remember that in obeying the government and its regulations, we are obeying our Lord God. Now, Graham, you might ask, what about when the government wants you to do something wrong? What about when the laws or requirements of government are against God's commands? Well, in those circumstances, we practise civil disobedience, When the state forbids what God commands or the state um, commands what God forbids, we practice civil disobedience. That is calm, respectful, refusal to obey that particular law or set of laws or requirement of the government. It's not throw off all authority and do whatever we want. No, no, no. It's to obey diligently in all things, but just not that thing or those things that stand opposed to God. And... To willingly receive the punishment for our disobedience. So, even that's a form of submission to authority over us. Remember, Jesus so profoundly said, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. There are two authorities, but one sits far, far higher and above the other. We give. To the rulers, what that authority requires, the obedience, the taxes that are required of them. But we are to give to God what is God's and his rule and authority requires utter obedience in all things. And so, government's rule sits under God's rule. And when their rule, what they require, breaks what God requires of me, we, we um, obey God rather than man. And so there will be times when Christians need to calmly, respectfully disobey government in order to honor and obey God, and willingly receive the punishment for their disobedience. See a number of times in the Bible. A few other are the Hebrew midwives. Pharaoh says that they should kill every boy, Hebrew boy, that's born. They refuse to do it, and God blesses them for it. Daniel refuses to bow down to the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, even though it meant death in the fiery furnace. Daniel, again, later on, stops pray, uh, will not stop praying to the Lord, even though an edict is passed, making it illegal to pray to any god but Darius, uh, even though it meant he would be thrown into the lion's den. The apostles are told, stop speaking in the name of Jesus, stop sharing the gospel, and they say, we must obey God rather than human beings, and continue to declare the gospel, and they die for it. There are a number of times when Christians must break the law because of the higher authority that sits over us, the Lord, And so there may be laws around abortion, around euthanasia that healthcare professionals cannot comply with. There may be and will be things in schools that teachers are required to teach but they cannot teach and remain obedient to God. Very difficult. There may be times coming where we're not allowed to say certain things and not just be shamed for those things but it's against the law to say those things but we must obey God and not humans. But These are all exceptions to the general rule of submission and obedience to the authorities that sit above us. And if we jump very quickly to, we should practise civil disobedience, it probably shows a rebellious heart that doesn't want to submit. Be very slow to civil disobedience. How how can you learn to discern when you should disobey the government? When you've obeyed the government in all sorts of areas of life, which you find painful and don't enjoy doing, it's then that you know you're in a position to make some sort of decision about whether you should disobey. Super serious thing to practice civil disobedience, though there are times when it's needed. But it's a massive step. So even verse 6, the word there for servant, God's servants, Paul has intentionally taken a word that's used for the temple servant, a temple attendant a servant central to the Old Testament worship of God, a a holy person. And in the New Testament, the word is often associated with carrying out gospel work. It's a very serious thing to disobey the servant of God. And so we must be very clear we are disobeying because God wants us to, not just because we don't want to obey. It's also worth noting that the nature of submission is determined by the shape of the governing authority. So for instance, in Australia... We can remain submissive to government while not agreeing with the things the government says. And we can actually express our disagreement in lawful, legal ways, through legal, political um, processes, through voting, through lobbying, through contacting our elected representatives, through petitions. We're legally allowed to participate in legal, um, peaceful protests. We can run for government ourselves. Before the Christian takes the step of civil disobedience, you'd want to make sure all of these um, other lawful avenues have been exhausted first. So you think back to last year. The restrictions of the last year around COVID have been very difficult and painful for churches. But it wasn't the government targeting churches to stop us gathering because we were churches because they didn't like churches or to stop us singing because they didn't like us singing. It was the government's attempt to protect the country and they placed the sort of restrictions on churches they did because they thought they were proportionate to the risks because we are risky because we like each other and we hang around each other and we mingle with each other and we sing and we do all sorts of things which are COVID risky things. However, towards the end, didn't they just feel like there was a period where restrictions were lifting everywhere in society but they didn't seem to be lifting for church? Uh, numbers, singing, mass, it just didn't seem like we were in step with the rest of society. Now, what do you do at that point? Practice civil disobedience? No. First step is to use legal means. A couple of leaders from our church wrote to local government expressing our concern that the restrictions on our church and others were no longer consistent with the restrictions for the rest of the community. Now, if restrictions hadn't lifted, civil disobedience, No, there would be other legal avenues to pursue first. It's a big thing to practice civil disobedience. Rather, the Christian is to be the best citizen, submissive, obedient, law-abiding. In doing so, we honour God, which reminds us of the whole context we're in. It was read for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're in the context of, how do you worship God? How do you worship God? Chapter 13, verse 1. submit to authorities. It's actually a key way in which we live a life of of worshipping God, be subject to the governing authorities. So when you obey the government, when you obey the police, when you obey the law, it's about worshipping God. If you are serious about worshipping God, then you'll be someone who pays your taxes, who drives according to the road rules, who scans their QR code when they enter a restaurant, who wears a mask when that is the current restrictions, who... We worship the God who has shown us such mercy by submitting to the governing authorities. Can I give us three brief applications? Submission. Submission, obligation, love. Submission. Sometimes submission is easy. That's when what I want aligns with what the government wants. But there are times when submission is hard and it's worth you working out when you find submission hard. And this morning I'd encourage you just to identify one thing. One thing that you'd like to work on, where you find it hard to submit to authority, and as you work on that one thing, most importantly, use it as a way of, of reshaping your attitude towards governing authorities. So, if you was driving at the speed limit, no one really keeps the speed limit all the time, do they? Well, another way to ask that question is, I don't really need to honor and worship God all the time, do I? Is it tax evasion? Hiding income so you aren't taxed, fudging your tax return, is it taking cash in hand to avoid paying tax, is it failing to comply with DA processes or uh, legalities around your business, is it using your mobile phone when you're driving, is it taking your dog on areas of the beach where it's very clear they're not supposed to be. Is it refusing to wear your mask when it's required by the government in a health crisis? Is it not bothering to scan your QR code? Now, I don't know if that one's a legal requirement or recommendation. But anyway, I know my one here that I need to repent of. What about you? I might not be here. And use this as a heart change thing. See, in this passage, it shows us that we're to submit to the governing authorities. And that's not just the authorities of our land But it's any authority that sits over us in any sphere of life, in church, in family, in community group, in sporting association. We are not free to not submit to those authorities as those authorities have been constituted. A trivial example is this. I've told you before, I do karate with my kids. Uh, My kids started years before me, so they're very good. And I'm very not good. (laughs) In one of the classes, my 16-year-old is the teacher. She's the sensei. And uh, in that class, my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, is not just my daughter. Now, she is my daughter. I am her leader. I am the authority over her. I care about her. I am for her service, for her good, and and exercise that. But I'm not just that in that class. I'm actually under her authority because she's the leader of that class. So when she says jump, I jump. When she says do this, I do this. When she says, even if I don't think it's the wisest thing... I do it and my son, I need to remind that she, he's also not just her brother in that context but has to sit under her authority. If I'm part of a community group or a sporting organisation, there's leadership over that organisation, I am to submit to that leadership. I'm free to leave it if I don't like the leadership but I'm not free to disrespect it. Two, obligation. Obligation? I don't want to be obligated to anyone. I want to be free to do whatever I want. Well, that's not Christian. Verse 6. This is why you pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them, what you're obligated to to them to give. If it's taxes, taxes, revenue, revenue, respect, respect, honor, honor. Because the government gives its full time to governing and providing good order and stability for a society and we benefit from living in that society, we owe it to contribute financially to the running of that society, to pay the government and run the society. We owe taxes. It's a right obligation when you experience the benefits of a community. If I experience the benefits of it, which I do, I drive on roads, I use hospitals, I'm part of the economic processes, we have armies that protect our nation, hospitals, health, etc. All overseen and administered by the government, I owe it to the government to contribute to... Supporting them, but also the running of the country, an obligation to pay tax. And so Paul says, discharge your obligations of paying tax, of paying indirect taxes, of respect to the people you owe respect to, over you, and so forth. Same in organisation. If I'm part of a a sporting club or something that's just a, a, a business, then the obligation I know is to pay for my part in that or my kids' part in that. But if I'm part of a volunteer organisation and my kids or I experience benefit from being part of that, and and it's run by volunteers, then I owe it to also volunteer and contribute to the running of that organisation in some sort of measure. It would be an odd thing for a Christian to receive benefit from a volunteer organisation and to volunteer nothing themselves. And can I say, how much more odd? How much more odd? To be part of a church to receive benefit for me and my family and my kids being part of a church and not to contribute in any way towards the good running of that church with finances or my time and energy. There is a natural obligation upon us whenever we experience the benefits of being part of a country, a state, an organisation, a church, a debt we owe, tax, revenue, honour, respect. Third and finally, love. Love. But the greatest obligation we have is love. Verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Forever loves others has fulfilled the law. You might pay off all your debts and fulfill all your other obligations, but the debt, the obligation to love one another, is never paid off, is always outstanding. It's a continuing remaining debt. We can never love enough because of the way that God has loved us so overwhelmingly. We are to love as we have been loved, to love more and more, more and more people, more and more deeply, more and more sacrificially like our Lord. And so there'll be times when the government doesn't put a law requiring us to do certain things, but gives a recommendation because that's, they think, for the good of society. They don't want to constrain you and make you, but they're giving you a recommendation because that's for the good of society. And then you got to think, is that the loving thing to do? Because if that's the loving thing to do, I'm going to do that thing because it's loving of others, not just because it's a law. Christians are to be the best citizens, not just because they submit to the authorities over them, not just because they fulfil all their obligations as good citizens of that society, but also the best citizens because they're consistently, constantly searching for ways to do good to others to love, to serve, to care for everyone around them. Let's pray. Oh Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you for giving us authorities that are good. We thank you for those of our land. And we do pray for the leaders of our nation. Please help them to live each day as servants for the good of the people. But please Lord, we ask for ourselves. Make us the people that you want us to be people who submit to the authorities over us in every sphere of life, people who fulfill our obligations, and most of all, Lord, people who live lives of love as we wait the coming of your Son, the dawning of the new day. And we ask this in his name. Amen.